as an extension of himself. The reception area of his New York office, the once small Danish studio, has grown to 480 employees spread between Copenhagen, New York, and London, features a Bjarke Ingels action figure posing on the windowsill. In the architecture world, where every project involves hundreds of mostly anonymous collaborators, Ingels' talent for self-promotion makes him a figure of some fascination. And yet, despite the dogged pursuit of celebrity, he has avoided developing an architectural signature. Even the casual observer can recognize Frank Gehry's piles of crinkled tissues, or Zaha Hadid's aerodynamic swoops. But Ingalls gives each new project a chance to generate its own style. He is one of the world's preeminent baby REMs, big-thinking architects who did formative stints in Rem Kohlhaas's office for metropolitan architecture in Rotterdam. Ingalls' old boss has called him an utterly new kind of architect, completely in tune with the thinkers of Silicon Valley who want to make the world a better place without the existential hand-wringing that previous generations felt was crucial to earn utopianist credibility. The typically oracular Kohlhaas seems to mean that Ingalls has elevated problem-solving to a philosophy, and indeed, Ingalls seems to thrive while wrestling with regulatory arcana. That's why no two of his buildings bear the same aesthetic stamp. Ingalls believes in stylelessness, just as his mentor did. Instead, he focuses on the belief that beauty and pragmatism can join forces to sell each other's virtues. The sloping New York apartment building, known as Via 57 West, rises from the Hudson River shoreline to a pointed peak, and its west-facing wall curves in a hyperbolic paraboloid, a Pringle-like swooping surface that has made it a landmark visible to airliners making for LaGuardia Airport. But from the developer's perspective, the real gorgeousness of the design is that it maximizes the number of rentable apartments within especially restrictive zoning rules imposed by the building's narrow, awkward site. When Ingalls talks about his projects, he tends to invoke apparently paradoxical catchphrases like practical poetry and the more cryptic hedonistic sustainability, the principle that is turning Copenhagen's power plant into a ski run and New York's anti-flood defenses into a shoreline park. Construction will begin soon on the dry line, which will protect Lower Manhattan with a system of landscaped berms, contoured parks, and barriers that can drop down like garage doors from the underside of FDR Drive. The architecture world can be suspicious of anyone who talks as good a game as Ingalls does, but by now he can point to the standing exemplars from his past rather than a wide-eyed future. To get a sense of how Ingalls translates buzzwords into concrete and steel, I set off to visit several of his firm's Danish projects. My first stop is Bilund, the sleepy company town in Jutland that Lego has wishfully dubbed the capital of children. There, Big's Lego House, a fusion of corporate museum, indoor plaza, and community center, is rising near Lego's headquarters in the center of town, its interlocking stack of white blocks making it look like a mutant, climbable toy. Outside, two corner towers dissolve into a cascade of smaller bricks, like a wall that's been breached and transformed into climbable bleachers. When Lego House opens in September, visitors will tour a variety of color-coded experience zones where they can assemble plastic brick sea creatures, then scan and launch their digital alter-egos into a virtual aquarium. Less hands-on museum-goers can gawp at sprawling, fantastical jungles and cities created by amateur Lego virtuosos all over the world and rebuilt here at the mothership. Big has Lego in the blood. In the Copenhagen studio, a range of miniature plastic mountains inhabited by tiny plastic people rises like an artificial version of the hive on the factory floor. It's a tangible demonstration of the Ingalls approach. This is how you build utopia, one studded brick at a time.
Giving children a box of Legos is an act of empowerment, Ingalls says. It provides them with the means to create their own world and then inhabit it through play. That's not a bad first principle. As a child, Ingalls says, he learned to subvert the Lego system's apparent rigidity. I had an obsession with pieces that had secret functionality, like the hinged pieces that have a smooth area without the studs on top, which allowed you to make a pocket door. I made things that looked like one thing and acted as another. Likewise, he says, Lego's master builders, like those who have their inimitable works rebuilt here at Belund, are like hackers. They take bricks conceived for one purpose and use them for something else. Ingalls borrows my notebook and sketches a Roman arch constructed out of thin, two-stud Lego pieces stacked at the diagonal to form a continuous curve. Lego represents a primal expression of Ingalls' credo, maximize creativity with limited resources. While some celebrated architects advance the profession by means of deluxe facades and unswept forms,